0: Crime Happens contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Happens, where we uncover the evil that surrounds us. I'm your host, Chris. I love thee. Let me count the ways. We all know there are many ways to say I love you. James E. Carver claimed to love Heather Lynn Camp. In fact, he loved her to death. This is their story. Heather Lynn Camp and James E. Carver were not in a steady relationship. They would split up and get back together again. Sometimes they would even live together, but it didn't seem to last. Heather still saw other men and Carver had a history of jealousy and violence. This is a deadly combination. At the time of this crime, Heather and Carver are together. She's collecting her belongings and preparing to move into Carver's camper. He claims to love her, but his jealousy is rapidly growing out of control. This episode takes place in Ohio. Ohio is a Midwestern state within the Great Lakes region of the United States. Its capital is Columbus, and its direct neighbors are Pennsylvania, Indiana, Kentucky, West Virginia, and Michigan. In the southwest part of Ohio, we find the areas of New Vienna, Hillsboro, Wilmington, Greenfield, and Fayette County. These locations are all within a 30-mile radius of each other, and these are Carver's stomping grounds. The Ohio landscape has gently rolling hills and plunging valleys. Ohio has hot, humid summers and cold, snowy winters. I spent a few days in Ohio in the winter, and I can confirm the winters are very cold and very snowy. The upper deck on the friend's house I was staying in actually collapsed from the weight of a recent snow. One of Ohio's many valuable resources is rock salt, and it could actually supply the country with salt for thousands of years to come. And they are ranked among the top producers of corn in the United States. Ohio has a lot of museums, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is a very popular museum located on the shores of Lake Erie in Cleveland, the National Museum of the United States Air Force, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and the House from a Christmas Story, which is not a museum exactly, but it's located in Cleveland. This state loves football. The American Professional Football League was founded in Ohio in 1920, leading to the formation of the current National Football League. Ohio also refers to itself as the birthplace of aviation. This is because they produced the first people to fly an airplane. The Wright brothers, who were the pioneers of aviation, were raised in Ohio. And Neil Armstrong became the first man to walk on the moon. New Vienna, where Carver was living, and its surrounding areas On the surface, sound like they would be great places to live, but they have pretty high crime rates. Your chance of becoming a victim of either violent or property crime here is somewhere between 1 in 18 and 1 in 53, depending on the specific area. With opioid use declining in the area, the use of heroin and meth is on the rise. James E. Carver was born November 1st, 1978 and he was 40 years old when he shot Heather Lynn Camp. At the time of his arrest, he was 6'3", 190 pounds. He has a lengthy criminal record and has been convicted of more than 30 offenses in Clinton County and Highland County Courts of Ohio, including aggravated assault, attempted abduction, domestic violence, receiving stolen property, disorderly conduct, assault, and endangering children. At the time of this crime, Carver was living in a camper in New Vienna. New Vienna is located about halfway between Columbus, the state capital, and Cincinnati, which is on the southwest border of Ohio. Heather Lynn Camp was born September 30th, 1985, and was 33 years old when she died. She was living in Wilmington, Ohio, just prior to her death. Heather was in trouble with law enforcement, she used methamphetamine, and had outstanding warrants for her arrest. She even spent time in jail for various misdemeanor offenses, such as theft. But she had a family who loved her very much, and she had a close relationship with her mom and daughter. She survived by her mom, Mary Camp, her siblings, Brandy, Tina, and Daniel Camp, and her teenage daughter. From her obituary, she is described as follows, Heather was a fun, free-spirited, loving person. It was a Sunday afternoon on February 17, 2019, when Heather and her friend Tyler Lawrence decided to go to Walmart in Hillsboro. While they were driving to the store, they spotted Carver following them in his black Chevy Trailblazer, so they sped up trying to lose him. Based on court documents, Heather and Carver had made plans to have dinner together that evening and it was now between 4 and 5 p.m., so Heather asked her friend Tyler to drive her to El Dorado Mexican restaurant in Wilmington to meet Carver, which he did. Heather and Carver had a big argument over dinner when the name of a guy she had been seeing previously came up. According to Carver, Heather told him she bumped into this guy at Walmart earlier. When Carver and Heather left the restaurant, they went to go visit her sister. It was here at her sister's place that Carver spotted one of Heather's ex-boyfriends pulling into the apartment complex. Heather was in the apartment for almost 30 minutes while Carver waited outside. He began texting her and asking her, what was she doing? She responded by asking him, why are you being such an asshole? According to court documents, Carver was known to be very jealous. And there was a history between him and this ex-boyfriend. Carver's jealousy sparked an argument between Carver and Heather and he accused her of cheating on him. From her sister's place, they drove to Carver's camper in New Vienna. When they got inside the camper, Carver proceeded to beat Heather severely while accusing her of having a sexual relationship with this other guy. After the beating, Carver was still pissed. He sent his friend Roy Dunahue a text letting him know he was looking to get his hands on a gun. Dunahue wrote back and confirmed that he had a Ruger twenty-two caliber handgun that he could loan him. Dunahue stated that he got the gun from a friend of his in Fayette County. Carver and Heather drove to Dunahue's home to pick up the gun. It was just turning dark when they arrived at Dunahue's. Dunahue brought the gun out to Carver's car in the driveway and handed it to him, still in its holster, loaded, and with the safety on. He also stated that Heather was sitting in the front seat with Carver as he handed over the gun. It's not clear if Heather knew Carver was going to pick up a gun when they drove out to Dunahue's. And it was only a matter of minutes after being handed the gun while they are still sitting in the car together that Heather took the gun out of its holster, turned the safety off, and proceeded to shoot Heather at almost point-blank range in the chest. Heather didn't have much time to react, even if she could. Considering she has just been severely beaten, and her eyes may be swollen shut, among other injuries, it's difficult to know the state of her mental and physical condition. The bullet did not exit her body, but remained lodged internally. According to the autopsy results, the, quote, Bullet grazed her thoracic aorta, went through her liver, esophagus, and diaphragm, lodging in her thoracic spine. After he handed over the gun to Carver, Dunahue went back inside his house. Carver and Heather sat in the driveway for a few minutes before taking off. Dunahue said he didn't hear a thing. He did not hear any gunshots from inside the house where he would have been about 80 feet from their car. Heather didn't die right away from this gunshot wound. Instead, she bled out internally very painfully and very slowly over the next 48 hours. Dr. Casto, who performed the autopsy, testified that they, quote, found blood in the chest cavity and belly, testifying that she had over two liters of internal blood loss. Given her size, she had lost a lethal amount of blood almost half of her blood internally after shooting Heather Carver took her back to his camper where he had sex with her according to Carver it was consensual and Heather was fine he said she complained about a little bit of back pain but she was fine but she wasn't fine she had been beaten severely and shot in the chest and in addition to that Carver has now raped her Heather was in no condition to resist or to engage in sex even if she wanted to. I don't believe for a minute that she did and neither did the jury. After the rape, she gets up to use the bathroom but collapses because she can't walk. So Carver and Heather spend Sunday night in his camper and stayed there until Monday night, February 18th. Starting Monday morning, Heather's mom is texting Carver asking about Heather and he tells her Heather is fine. Her mom texts again later that day and asked him to have Heather call her. Carver tells her that he gave Heather the messages but Heather won't listen to him and call her. Carver stated in court documents that Heather didn't want to go to the hospital. He claimed that she was too worried about being arrested for outstanding warrants to go. Sometime during that night, Carver changed Heather's clothes and put the bloody clothing she was wearing into a trash bag. It's Monday night now, and Carver's hungry, so he puts Heather in the car and drives to Frisch's Big Boy restaurant. Apparently, Frisch's missed an item on his order, so he drove to Burger King to get what he wanted. Heather didn't eat anything. It's hard to believe she is even conscious. It's been about 24 hours now since the beating, shooting, and rape. Carver admits that at this point he's starting to become concerned about Heather's condition, just not concerned enough to call 911 or take her to the hospital. When he decided they should leave the camper, Carver told officers that he pulled his car up to the back of the camper and had Heather come out that way so his neighbors wouldn't see her. The fact that he felt the need to hide his activities from his neighbors clearly demonstrates he is more concerned about himself than Heather's well-being. Does he call 911? Does he take her to the hospital? No. He puts her in his car and drives her to the house of some friends, Bobby and Kaylee Kinnison. Carver actually stopped by their place on Sunday, the day of the shooting, to drop off some drugs to be sold. Bobby Kinnison and Carver are in business together selling drugs. Carver supplies the drugs. Bobby sells the drugs. All of these folks, Heather, Carver, Bobby, Kaylee, are using the drugs. Bobby and Kaylee admit that on Sunday they had already been up for days using meth. Now it's Monday night and Carver's going back to the Kinnisons. this time bringing Heather. Carver and Heather got to the Kinnison home at about 8 p.m. Once he arrived at their home, he sent Bobby Kinnison a text message saying somebody had been shot and to open the garage door. Carver told the Kinnisons that another man accidentally shot Heather as the man was attempting to shoot him. You needed to climb a flight of stairs to get to their apartment. Since Heather was no longer able to walk on her own, Bobby and Carver had to carry her up the stairs. They placed her on a futon in the living room. Both the Kinnisons could see that Heather was in bad shape and tried to convince Carver that she needed to be taken to the hospital. Carver was adamant claiming that Heather did not want to go to the hospital because she had outstanding warrants and was afraid of going to jail. They also described him as being very unsympathetic and agitated. Kaylee Kinnison testified that Heather's face was swollen and bruised and looked as though she had been beaten up. Quote, Her face had been badly bruised, her eyes were swollen shut, She had swelling around her rib cage and very labored breathing. Kaylee also testified that Heather was, quote, still slightly lucid. Uh, She could still move around a little bit. Uh, She could move her arms. But other than that, she needed, at that point, she needed help. Kaylee also said the whole time she was talking with Heather, Carver was standing menacingly over her shoulder. Heather actually showed Kaylee the bullet wound in the center of her chest. She said repeatedly that her left shoulder hurt and she was having a lot of pain in her left side. Upon hearing and seeing this, Kaylee said she helped Heather into a seating position and examined her back looking for an exit wound. There was none. I can't help but wonder how Kaylee and Bobby might have reacted differently if they had not been up using drugs for days on end? Kaylee said she was too scared to call 911, so she called her mom, Mandy Nisley, to come over and check on Heather. When Kaylee's mom got there, she found Heather in the living room lying on a futon. She could clearly see that Heather was in desperate need of medical attention, but she didn't call 911 either. If these people had called 911, Heather may have had a chance, but we will never know. Mandy testified that, quote, she was just very beaten. She was just really tiny. Her eyes were swollen, her lips were black, and she was laying there by herself. She said that she held Heather's hand and tried to comfort her while she was spitting up blood clots into a plastic cup. Carver told her that someone had shot her, but it was just a graze. Upon closer examination, Mandy could see the bullet hole in Heather's chest and told Carver that, quote, this doesn't look like a graze. Mandy tried to convince Carver to take Heather to the hospital, but every time she tried to say something, he would say no. Heather's eyes were completely swollen shut and she couldn't see Mandy, but Mandy stays with her, trying to comfort her. Carver is pacing back and forth. When Mandy asked Heather if she wanted to go to the hospital, she said yes and stated she was afraid of dying. Carver insisted that she was not going to the hospital because she has outstanding warrants he loved her too much to take her to the hospital where she would just be arrested and taken to jail when mandy left the apartment bobby carver and heather were leaving at the same time bobby and carver were carrying heather down to the garage under the pretense of taking her to the hospital she said she saw them put heather in the passenger seat of the trailblazer but instead of taking her to the hospital they waited for Mandy to leave and they brought her right back upstairs to the apartment. When they brought her back into the apartment, they moved the futon from the living room into the bedroom. Then they placed Heather back on the futon. Bobby testified that while they were in the garage, he heard Carver and Heather talking. Apparently, Heather was asking to go to the hospital, but Carver responded with, quote, Straighten up, bitch. And then he slapped her face. He definitely did not want Heather to indicate to anyone, again, that she wanted to live. Bobby said it was his ideal to bring Heather back upstairs because he didn't know what Carver was going to do to her or where he was going to take her, and he didn't trust him. He thought Heather would be safer staying at the apartment. That night, Heather and Carver stayed with Bobby and Kaylee Kinnison in their apartment in one of the bedrooms, Kaylee said she was terrified of Carver and locked herself and her children in their bedroom. Bobby Kinnison sat up all night in the living room, keeping watch. According to Carver, at about 3 a.m. on Tuesday, February 19, 2019, Heather indicated that she had to use the bathroom. He tried to help her get up so that she could use the bathroom, but she ended up urinating on herself. Then, a couple of hours later, at about 5 a.m., Bobby Kinnison finally took Heather to the Greenfield-Adena Medical Center ER. Bobby told the hospital staff that he found Heather down the street, but he didn't tell them that she had been shot. He didn't know that Heather was already dead, but when he carried her into the ER, he did notice that she felt limp. Initial attempts in the ER to resuscitate Heather failed. Dr. Jill Ipert, the emergency room physician, didn't realize yet that Heather had been shot. After the first attempt to resuscitate her failed, they decided to intubate her. This means putting a breathing apparatus into her mouth and then into her airway. As the doctor was doing this, she noticed that Heather's jaw was stiff. At this point, the doctor realized that Heather was dead and that rigor mortis had already started to set in. This is also when the doctor notices the head and facial injuries sustained by Heather. The deep, dark bruising around her eyes and the fact that they are both swollen shut led the doctor to wonder if she had been beaten to death. She asked that the police be called because this definitely looked like a suspicious death. The doctor also became concerned about the possible internal injuries and ordered an ultrasound. The ultrasound quickly revealed the blood in Heather's abdomen. When Dr. James McCown, Highland County Coroner's investigator, came to the ER at 6.45 a.m., his examination took place while Heather was still on the hospital gurney. He noted that Heather had suffered from extensive physical damage to her face and upper torso. He stated this was indicative of a suspicious death. While he was taking photos of Heather's injuries and tattoos, he saw that she had been shot. He was the first person at the hospital to realize that she had been shot. He testified that she had bruising around both eyes, extensive bruising on her forehead, a bruise on her chin and right side of her head, and multiple bruises of various stages on her upper arms and torso. He recommended that she be sent to Montgomery County Medical Examiner for an autopsy. Heather Camp was still a Jane Doe at this point. Assistant Deputy Coroner Dr. Brian Casto testified that Heather's hair, head, and face were badly beaten and bloody. In fact, Detective Vincent Antonor, one of the investigating detectives, attended the autopsy and testified that Heather had been beaten so badly it was difficult to recognize her. The autopsy revealed the cause of death was a gunshot wound to the chest at close range of an inch or less. Dr. Jeff Beery, Highland County Coroner, confirmed that Heather had been beaten severely, but her cause of death was a close-range gunshot and manner of death was homicide. It was his belief that her death occurred about 3 a.m. on Tuesday morning. He stated that it was common for a person's bladder to empty at the moment they die. This would coincide with the time that Carver said he was helping Heather to use the bathroom and she urinated on herself. Later on that morning, after Bobby had taken Heather to the hospital, Kaylee used Carver's trailblazer to take her daughter to school. It was during this trip that Kaylee found a shell casing on the floor of the vehicle on the passenger side. The Kinnisons testified that they saved the shell casing and hid it in their kitchen cabinet in a box that contained other bullets. Carver left their house around 9 a.m. Tuesday morning, but returned later that day with a woman and a pizza. Carver seemed, quote, nervous and on edge. The woman he brought over was suggesting that Carver put seat covers on his trailblazer, I am guessing to cover up blood that may have gotten on the seat. Mary Camp, Heather's mom, had been trying to get a hold of her daughter since Monday morning. They were in the habit of talking to each other every day, and when she didn't hear from Heather, she became concerned. She wanted to talk to Heather about turning herself in and facing her outstanding warrants. When she couldn't get through to Heather, she began texting Carver to see if he knew where she was. On Monday, the day after he shot Heather, Carver lied telling Mary that Heather was just fine. After Bobby dropped Heather off at the hospital, Carver started trying to cover his tracks and go into hiding. He was hanging out at the home of an unidentified female friend. Carver has Heather's cell phone and turns it on intermittently to see if there's anything he needs to know about any text, voicemails, he's checking those. He cleans out his trailblazer in an attempt to get rid of evidence, and he deletes his Facebook account. A couple of days later, Carver texted Donahue to let him know that he had returned the gun. He said he had put the gun in Donahue's truck. Donahue went to look in his truck, and sure enough, the gun was there, but the holster wasn't. He took the gun back to his friend's house, wrapped the gun in a plastic bag, and placed it into a clothes dryer. Tyler Lawrence, Heather's friend, was very helpful. He was able to identify Bobby Kinnison from hospital security video and give law enforcement Carver's name and address. On Wednesday, February 20th, a search warrant for Carver's camper is executed. During this search, they find Heather's identification information, 22 caliber ammunition, the clothes she was wearing when she was shot, which included her pink bra and gray shirt with bloodstains, her blood which was spilled and spattered throughout the camper and they found James and Heather written on the wall. They also found the blood-stained jeans that Carver was wearing when he shot Heather. Law enforcement also found that Carver had texted an unidentified individual to go to his camper and get rid of Heather's things. Since they found so much of Heather's stuff in the camper this friend must not have done what Carver asked. A search warrant is also executed at the Kinnison residence. In their apartment, law enforcement found the spent shell casing that Kaylee Kinnison found on the floor of Carver's trailblazer when she used it to take her kid to school and later hid in their kitchen cabinet, and they found Heather's blood. Heather's death sent dogs, helicopters, and detectives on a three-day statewide manhunt that ended with Carver's arrest. On Thursday, February 21st, he's tracked down by the FBI Violent Crimes Task Force in Dayton, Ohio. Law enforcement is watching the home where he was hiding out and it's not long before they spot him exiting the house. He runs out of the house and up to a car being driven by another friend and he yells for his friend to go 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 but he doesn't get away. Instead, he is immediately arrested. Once in custody, Carver admitted that he shot Heather, but he tried to say that it was an accident, that he only wanted to scare her. He also stated that he originally wanted the gun to deal with a different situation, one that had nothing to do with Heather. He also admits to hitting her prior to the shooting and having sex with her after the shooting. A search warrant is then executed for the house he was hiding out in. In the search, they find boots belonging to Carver with Heather's blood on them, which Carver had placed in a trash can. He was obviously trying to hide evidence. Carver was held on a $1 million bond. When Carver went to Frisch's on Monday night, security videos showed that he drove right by the Highland District Hospital emergency room. He made sure to get the missing item from his fast food order, but he refused to take Heather to the hospital. He loved her too much to do that. A number of people came into contact with Heather after her obvious beating and gunshot injury, but none of them called 911. Not a single one of them did anything to help her. Carver, who claimed to love Heather, did not call 911 or take her to the hospital. The Kinnisons, who had been up for days using meth, spent a significant amount of time with Heather and Carver and still did not call 911. Kaylee's mom, Mandy Niley, who was also a meth user at the time, saw what terrible shape Heather was in but did not call 911. The primary reason given by these folks is that they were scared. The Kinnisons said that Carver told them He had connections with a group called the Brotherhood. They were also scared of getting in trouble themselves since they were using and or dealing meth. They were afraid Carver would do something to their family describing him as menacing. In conclusion, Heather Camp and James Carver had a volatile relationship. It wasn't uncommon for them to break up and get back together again. Sometimes they even lived together. But it didn't last long. The evidence suggests that jealousy was a possible motive for shooting Heather. Heather had relationships with Tyler Lawrence and two other men. Tyler was the guy driving her around on Sunday. He took her to Walmart and he took her to the El Dorado restaurant to meet Carver for dinner. Carver freely admits to knowing about her other relationships, but states that the only relationship he just couldn't tolerate Is the one she had with Tyler Lawrence. Given his known track record for violence and trouble with law enforcement, jealousy as a motive for the shooting is easy to believe. Prior to being shot, Heather was also beaten. Her face, head, and scalp were badly bruised and beaten, so much so that her eyes were swollen shut. In fact, Dr. Casto, who performed the autopsy, testified that he identified early cerebral edema, which is swelling of the brain. This would indicate that she was beaten so badly about the head and face that her brain began to bleed and swell. The evidence also suggests that by the time Heather Camp reached Carver's camper after being shot at point-blank range, she would have been debilitated both mentally and physically. According to court documents, Dr. Casto testified that Heather would have been in great physical pain very early on in the process. He testified that her liver, esophagus, and diaphragm were bleeding immediately. Heather was unable to walk without assistance. She had back pain and actually asked Carver to get her some pain medication. Heather's toxicology report detected gabapentin, which is a type of pain medication, along with amphetamine and methamphetamine. He testified gabapentin is supposed to dull nerve pain, but he didn't know if it would dull this kind of pain or not. Based on this knowledge of her condition, it's very unlikely that Heather would have been able to escape Carver or his camper. Carver admitted in his interview with detectives that Heather cried out right after being shot, quote, Motherfucker, you shot me! Carver even stated about Heather after he shot her, quote, she's not fine. She's like in shock. The bottom line is this was not an accidental shooting and this was not consensual sex, as Carver claimed. This was murder, rape, and assault. Heather's last 48 hours of life were lived in agony. Investigating Detective Antenor testified that Carver made approximately 7,000 calls from the Highland County Jail while awaiting trial. Detective Antenor stated that he regularly reviews the calls made from the jail, and one call in particular caught his attention when he reviewed Carver's call log. Carver made a phone call, which he told the other speaker that he, quote, knew the safety was off the gun. Carver was charged as follows, count 1, murder, in that on or about February 17, 2019, that he purposely caused the death of Heather Lynn Camp, count 2, that on that same date, Carver did have a firearm on or about his person or under his control while committing the offense of murder and used it to facilitate the offense. Count three. That on that same date did engage in sexual contact with camp, knowing that her ability to resist or consent was substantially impaired. Count four. Illegal possession of a firearm due to prior convictions of domestic violence. Count five. Domestic violence is alleged against Carter. It is stated that camp had the appearance of physical injuries of being beaten count six. This count alleges that from February 17th through the 21st, 2019, that Carter did alter, destroy, conceal, or remove a thing with the purpose to impair its value or availability as evidence while on the run from law enforcement. The trial began Monday afternoon and continued Tuesday afternoon and all day Wednesday with the closing arguments and jury instruction presented Thursday morning. The case was handed over to the jury Thursday at 11.25 a.m. with deliberations beginning after a lunch break for the jury. The jury handed over written notice that verdicts on all five counts were reached at 5.30 p.m. Thursday evening. A jury of nine women and three men returned guilty verdicts on all charges except to count five domestic violence. Instead, he was found guilty of the lesser charge of assault. After the guilty verdicts were read and prior to sentencing, the following took place between Carver and Judge Rocky Coss. The Highland County Press reported this exchange from the courtroom. Quote, Carver asked if he could face the members of the victim's family who were seated in the courtroom, then cried as he stood and spoke to them. I'm sorry, he told them. I wish I could bring her back. I'd give my life for her, I swear. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm sorry. One of the things that struck me is that supposedly the reason you went to get the gun was to go after someone else, Koss said. Yet the only action that took place is you shooting her. For the rape charge? Koss said there is no way I can believe a woman who'd been shot would have the slightest thought of having sexual intercourse voluntarily. It doesn't make any sense, Koss said. It is totally disregarding her condition. It was callous and showed total indifference to her life and situation. The judge told Carver his indifference was also shown throughout the screenshots of texts Carver sent to another woman on the morning of the victim's death. Within minutes of knowing she's dying, or realizing she's dying, you're texting another woman, Koss said. On the day you're found, you're in the company of another woman. That again strikes me as having a total disregard for the life of the victim. I've been involved in a lot of murder cases and homicides in 43 years as a prosecutor and a judge. I think this woman suffered more than any victim I've seen that died. You let her bleed out internally, Koss continued. It's like you were just hanging out, waiting for her to die, so you could get rid of the stuff and move on. Although the defense argued the victim's death was accidental, Koss said. There is no doubt in my mind you pulled that trigger and the jury made the right call. You're crying here and showing emotion? But you know what? That's just show, Koss said. You said you didn't take her to the hospital because she had warrants. So what? What's more important, living? Isn't that more important, even if it's in jail? She wouldn't have been in jail for the rest of her life. Judge Rocky Koss sentenced Carper to a total of 33 years to life in prison. He is also classified as a tier three sex offender. Carver appealed his convictions and lost. His next parole board hearing is scheduled for December, 2051. His expected release date is February 13, 2052. And that will do it. Thanks for joining me once again on Crime Happens.